Welcome to Comeback Journeys in Recovery, inspirational interviews with those who are recapturing their peak wellness after a trauma such as an addiction, major accident or illness, or bereavement. We'll also hear from professionals on ways you can regain your own peak wellness. I'm David Shadbolt, and my wish for you is that you'll discover more friendships, confidence, joy, and energy as you lead a more fulfilling life. Episode 4, Recovering from Violence and Food Addiction, a conversation with Sherry Strong. Our podcast today is with Sherry Strong, the food philosopher and nutritionist who'd had an active food addiction while working as a chef in Australia and has since used her experience and skills to become a pioneer uh, for healing with whole foods. Welcome, Sherry. Well, thank you, David, for inviting me. I think what you're doing um, is so needed in the world. Uh, And before I introduce myself, I'll just say that I often start off my own interviews and podcasts or even when I'm teaching and coaching with a quote. One of my favorite quotes is, Be kind. For everyone you know is fighting a battle you know nothing about. And I think that's kind of the premise of, of any kind of healing work is to understand that it's almost, I think, a rarity and difficult to find anyone who hasn't experienced some form of trauma. And as a result of that, we often look to substances or behaviors that make us feel better. It's it's we're a pleasure-seeking species. And so I started out my kind of own health journey uh, studying nutrition in the mid-80s, early to mid-80s. And then I became a chef. I was a chef in many good restaurants in Australia, Melbourne, Australia. I went on a a 22-year working holiday. Um, (laughs) Fantastic. People often say, why were you in Australia for so long? And I say, I stole a loaf of bread. (laughs) Um, years, (laughs) hard labor. Um, But then I moved from being a chef because that's quite a traumatic environment. Uh, I'm quite certain there's going to be a whole wave of chefs who are going to have post-traumatic stress claims of of certain sorts. But um, I knew that wasn't the life for me. And I, I started a cooking school, the Food Lovers Workshop. And from that, I got the attention of a dietitian and a doctor who specialized in weight management and eating behaviors, and they were attracted to the work I was doing because I was, wasn't was using any of the low-fat, no-fat, low-sugar, no-sugar, fake-sugar products, but helping people just get back to eating real food, and which was kind of funny at the time because I was actually twice my size, so not 10 foot 4. Um, I was, you know, literally double the width of I was trying on a pair of pants for my housemate the other day, and I fit into one leg of a pair of pants I used to wear. Um, and so I had my own journey. Then I, I became involved with nutrition, the nutrition world through that. I was invited onto the, the board of the Victorian Nutrition Australia, and a year later I was the head of Nutrition Australia in Victoria, and then the Mellon president of Slow Food. And I developed this this philosophy or philosophical way of looking at food that really married nutrition with 
um, uh, the pleasure of food. So it was, we're not one dimensional beings. We don't just eat to live. And, and I don't believe food tastes so good, you know, even in nature, um, just purely, you know, for functional means, although it probably does have, you know, pure evolutionary functional means, but we're, we're beings of pleasure. So I developed these philosophies and I branded myself as a food philosopher. And when I started to do my coaching work, where I worked with people on the, the nutrition piece, but then getting them, I had a certain amount of success, but then when I got them in the kitchen and actually preparing food from scratch and, and understanding that relationship with food, they had a certain uh, increased success. And then when I moved from combining those two things to introducing this philosophical approach to developing a healthier relationship with food, their body and the planet, they got it. So their ability to apply and um, implement and have long-term success with it increased. And then the third piece was a piece called hypernourishment that I introduced, which is really about seeing that it's not just about the food and that if you look into the mental, emotional, and spiritual lives of people, you're going to see that there are toxic influences in those areas, not just physical and in the environment, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And when we start to remove the toxicity in those areas and bring in very loving, nourishing stimulus and information and, you know, um, relationships, that the healing on the physical level had so much more uh, impact so I was on the speaking circuit in Australia, and five years ago, I had this very strong, intuitive push to come back to Canada. The, the voice of intuition just got really loud, and I, I wasn't hearing voices, literal voices. You don't have to uh, get me checked out. Um, Fully understand and, that. <laughs> yeah, and so I came back, and I started teaching nutritionists um, and, and passionate holistic foodies to become food coaches. So my work um, went from me reaching a few people to now teaching other people to reach many people with this modality of teaching. I want, I love the label uh, food philosopher. I think it's great. Uh, and also uh, you speak to uh, some areas that I'm, I'm a firm believer in that mm. our habits are a result of something that's happened to us or these toxicities that you refer to. Let's talk about, first of all, in your opinion, the mental aspect of health. And then we can get down to the, to the nutritional aspect and how it impacts our, our organs and our blood, the internal structure of our body, if you wouldn't mind talking about that. But let's talk about, first of all, the mental aspect. This didn't happen to me, but let's say I'm, I'm um, a child of abusive parents who are always yes. arguing and fighting amongst themselves. Um, I think I saw my parents argue once and I still remember that occasion. But I can imagine that it has a, well, it obviously does, have an adverse effect on that child. How would that affect their physical cravings, shall we say, or their emotional balance? Yeah, well, I mean, I can answer part of that. And I was actually a child of, raised by two parents who um, were... I think anyone would say they certainly didn't have emotional maturity or, you know, the intelligence to, to raise healthy children. And there was a lot of violence, a lot of physical violence towards one another and a lot of, you know, emotional and mental violence. And, you know, it's, it's destabilizing on many 
uh, levels. It's mm-hmm. it's traumatic, and in fact, um, just probably more transparency than most people would be interested in finding out about me on a first first date. But <laughs> <laughs> I um I was actually um uh, raped, uh, sexually assaulted in a country I was traveling in when I was twenty. And when I compare, when I went into therapy afterwards, the trauma of the assault versus the trauma of my childhood, my childhood trauma was far more dramatic and I believe impactful than a sexual assault, you know, from a stranger in a strange country. And I remember thinking, this one was easy to heal. (laughs) This one was really difficult to heal. And I think on some levels, I still carry, you know, scars and wounds and have things to, to work through on that. But what I'll speak to in that piece is that, you know, often in those homes where that's going on, there usually isn't a lot of nourishing food. It's rare. Um, so one, you, you're already predisposed to a very addictive diet that um, is not nourishing. So you don't have this physiological stability within your body to cope with that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a tough thing to cope with. Say if you had very, you know, uh, nutritionally pure parents, but they were mentally, you know, upset and fighting and all that kind of stuff. At least your physiology would be getting what it needs to kind of handle and cope with it. I often talk about how most road rage, I believe, is as a result of nutritional deficiencies. It, in the sense, oh yes, because the way we eat in a highly processed diet is so destabilizing to the mind and the body mm-hmm. that the littlest thing sets you off. Whereas when that same body, no matter what their physiological weaknesses are, but the same body that's being nourished, mm-hmm. um, there's a calmness that comes over you. So if your body's malnourished and addicted to what I call the lethal recipe, which is refined, refined foods and highly processed foods, you're malnourished. And um, there's just this edge that you're on. It's very rare, and it's often why people who do that like to take drugs that calm them, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. They're trying to overcome that. Because we're addictive species, we're an addictive species because we want to feel good. Yeah. You know, the classic, we want to avoid pain, we want to feel pleasure, and at the very least, if we don't know how to mentally replicate or to produce thoughts that bring us pleasure, mm-hmm. we will engage in, in substance and behavior. And so, and and depending on the level of trauma that someone undergoes because of, you know, mental discord or abuse, you know, that usually is as a result of that, mm-hmm. their development can be stunted. So you have a number of factors that are going on. Yes. And one of the, the most, you know, kind of significant things around food and getting the body nourished is it provides at least a foundation where the body reaches a certain level of homeostasis, you know, the factory settings of getting what it needs, so it can actually heal and repair and have this level of calmness and stability to cope and heal. I, I, I'm, uh, you're telling me things that, I mean, I've been you know, eating whole foods and primarily organic since the early <laughs> 80s, uh, and that was before I even quit drinking, in, uh, five years before I quit drinking. Mm-hmm. For the first time, um, and it was a, obviously it was a desire to um, heal myself. Mm-hmm. I, I was always I was always working out and exercising, but it's yeah. but I the last thing I, my ego wanted me to let go of was my my craving, my compulsion, my addiction to to alcohol because alcohol was my form of escape. 
from reality, but from feelings mm-hmm. inside. It wasn't until yeah. I was had stopped drinking for a few months that I realized that uh, despite all my macho endeavors and activities, I was full of fear. <laughs> I'd been since I was a child. And I, I think that applies to a lot of people. And in my case, it was alcohol and other people's. It could be food, mm-hmm. gambling, shopping, <laughs> you name it. They're out there, sadly. Absolutely. Sadly. Um, so if somebody, what would your advice be to someone who has as a compulsion, let's say not, not even an addiction, a compulsion yeah. to, you know, that uh, evening cocktail when they come home from work or mm-hmm. that marijuana, which may become too many smokes or the cheesecake in the fridge too much of every night. Do you have any advice to them? And then perhaps we could talk about where their internal health might be. Well, I think that the piece that I feel qualified to speak to is that when it comes to addiction and particularly, you know, food and and substances and that kind of thing is that the first thing that came up when you asked was this above all to thine own self be true Mm -hmm. and to understand where you are and who you are Mm -hmm. at at the point. So to give you an example, when I was at the depth of my food addiction, And I was starting the morning with half a liter of Sara Lee ultra chocolate ice cream. And I didn't stop eating until I went to bed. Right. Yes. So I was a major, not just sugar addict, but food addict. Mm -hmm. What I knew for myself at that point is I, I didn't have what it took to say no to food at that point. Mm -hmm. So what I decided to do was I would just start running and I was a terrible runner. Like I was huge, so it was hard, but I never liked running throughout my my life and and I actually got up to the point where I was actually got up to doing 20 kilometers in in a run so I remember when I I did that run it was 20 k's I did it on the treadmill so I know exactly how long it was I got to 20 k's and I was like okay I did that I have no interest in doing that ever again (laughs) (laughs) but what happened for me was I engaged in a healthy behavior that triggered another healthy behavior I couldn't give up sugar, I couldn't give up food, but I gave up running, and as I, my body was cleansing because I was running, I slowly developed this desire to eat better. Mm. And some for some people it might be, well, I'm going to eat better, and then I will get that desire to exercise. It depends on, on how you go. Or, and so when you're wanting to give up an addictive, addictive behavior, there are some people who respond to the whole cold turkey thing really well, and depending on how dire your circumstances, how chronic your addiction is, you know, that might be the only solution for you, no matter what your personality is. Mm-hmm. But there's certain levels of addiction and, and things like that where, for most people, what I highly recommend is to start to nourish. To Instead of worrying about giving up something that they're so strongly attached to, mm-hmm. to start to develop a relationship with something healthy. So even if you are, not that I'm recommending this as a nutritional uh, protocol, having half a liter of ultra chocolate ice cream for breakfast. <laughs> um, that if you if say that was your thing, you couldn't give that up. Well, can you just have a salad for lunch? Like consistently have like this action packed salad with this beautiful dressing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and by the way, I'd be happy to give your your um, listeners a, a beautiful ebook at the end of this, that just a gift for free. I used to sell for $27. Wonderful. Um, uh, I think you actually bought one online. Actually, I, did. I, have to, I, did. I, 
I'm going to have to gift you some nice things. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, you are gifting the presence of your podcast. Your yeah, podcast. well, um, so just there's seven recipes there that if you just start to include them in your diet, you will start to nourish yourself. Mm-hmm. And the body's always seeking well-being. You know, often what will happen is we will we will choose drugs and substances and behaviors that simulate a feeling of well-being. Mm-hmm. And they become addictive, right? And yes. so, and because they're addictive, it's going to give you a much more intense sense of well-being or high or numbing out or, you know, avoiding, you know, that numbing out factor is avoiding pain, which is a sense of well-being. It's like, oh, my God, the pain stopped for a bit. Yes. Right? So, I think that, and that's I, what I started talking about is, you know, to be kind for everyone is fighting a battle you know nothing about, to know yourself, to know that we are an addictive species, you know, we're a physiological species who wants to feel good and avoids, hates feeling bad. And until we're able to mentally create the thoughts, you know, the patterns to develop those new neural pathways that help us develop thoughts that make us feel good, if we can just engage in some basic behaviors um, to start to, it's that wonderful quote by Stephen Pressfield, he says, begin before you're ready or start before you're ready. Mm-hmm. And that's, I'm starting a program called Sweet Freedom. It's, I'm holding a summit in April with 30 different experts. And um, I have an eight-week program, which is helping people get off of sugar and end sugar addiction for good. And yeah. the first week is all about start before you're ready. Because mm-hmm. most people aren't willing to give up sugar. That You know, it's like like their, you know, baby's bottle. Like, no, 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 don't take my sugar away, right? Yes, yes. And and you would know many people who come from severe forms of drug addiction, mm-hmm. they manage to get off the drugs, but they then go on to sugar. They do. Or, and, ca- or more and more caffeine. Yeah. And so sugar's made very similar to how we make white alcohols or how we make turn opium sap and turn it into heroin and coca leaves and turn it into poppies. Only mm. sugar lights up the brain's drug receptors eight times more than, mm. uh, than cocaine, right? So, <laughs> so it's that. a normal thing. So, but, but to actually start to engage in healthy behaviors even before you make that final commitment of, yeah, I'm going to give this up. For anyone listening, if they have an active addiction to sugar, or any other form of substance abuse, such as alcohol, in what state would their organs likely be? Well, likely to be toxic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Likely to have fatty liver disease. But here's the crazy thing, is that you can develop fatty liver disease in 30 days from just eating a diet that is considered healthy, but is super high in sugar. And this was best illustrated by Damon Gamow, who I interviewed for the Sweet Freedom Summit. He is the producer, director, star of That Sugar Film. It's called That Sugar Film. Mm-hmm. And that was the experiment. He decided to, he would go for 30 days eating a diet purely um, of healthy foods, so no soft drinks, no ice cream, no candies, but things that are marketed as healthy. So, you know, the yogurts, the low-fat yogurts, yeah. and, you know, yeah. all those products. And literally in 30 days of consuming those foods, he developed fatty liver disease. So you don't have to be an alcoholic to have, you know, a toxic body. Wow, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, and and the whole thing, you know, the, the vicious circle about that, of eating highly processed foods or having any kind of, you know, serious drug addiction is it depletes the system. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it creates toxicity. It depletes the system of nutrients. And so then, you know, even if you weren't 
consuming a drug of some sort, you're going to feel terrible because you're malnourished. Yes. Right? So no matter what you're doing, you have to bring nourishment in. Mm -hmm. You have to bring nourishment in. And it's great if it can only be physical, but it's more powerful if you can bring nourishment in mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And just something little in each of those areas every day. And one of the problems that comes up for a lot of people, it is a discipline that is born out of self-love. And for most addicts, most addicts um, understand that they're suffering from a self-love deficiency. Absolutely. Right? And so that becomes the hardest thing is to engage in a healthy behavior that's actually a radical act of Mm self-love. So it, in 1980, when I started eating whole foods and organic, mm-hmm. vegetarian, it was an unconscious desire to heal myself. Yeah. And then physically, I because I was always working out physically, and then stopping alcohol. And it wasn't until the meditation component mm-hmm. came in, the regular practice of meditation, did I put all the pieces together, in my opinion, which and those those three things um good nutrition um exercise sensibly yeah i'm not always sensible about that i have to say um and uh, meditation are the three things upon which i've based my transformation on yeah. if you will yeah um you know so that at 71 uh, i you know i feel younger um and i know i'm yeah, much younger than I was years ago in many respects. So um, let's say then just one one piece of advice or maybe a couple before we kind of wrap this up. If, if, from, if I have just stopped cold turkey mm-hmm. drinking, shall we say. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to probably start eating more sugar or junk yeah. food. Or maintain yeah. what I was eating before. I can't give up both at once. So what you're saying is start before you're ready or begin before you're ready and perhaps have that healthy lunch, even if I'm eating junk food the rest of the time, and then gradually. Is that, is that so? Yeah, you build up. So, um, And it depends on your constitution, your palate, what resources you have available to you. So it might be I'm going to have a salad every lunch or every night, I'm just going to have a soup. Like I'm going to make a really nice, nourishing, hearty or cleansing soup. You know, I might alternate it. But one meal of the day is just, and and the easiest way to do it is to choose the same meal each day. So it could be breakfast, could be lunch, could be dinner, but choose one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you just have two meals a day, choose one of the two, right? And just make it something that you know you can kind of stick to. Mm-hmm. And it just provides kind of a, a go-to, a consistency, a protocol for yourself that uh, it's just you know you can do this. You know, I've, I've got this. And what that will do is it will start to bring intelligence into your body. It will bring nutrients into your body. It will start to heal. It will start to detoxify, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so it's going to help you transition. And, and the other piece of advice I would give is that if you are going to have the sugar, Try to find the most natural forms of sugar mm-hmm. to have to have sweet things. So you can have like you know date balls, you know, or or even just avoiding things. If you're in the United States, you know, North America that have high fructose corn syrup, 
which is, I call it the crack cocaine of the sugar world, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, um, yeah so try and find the most natural form of sugar that you're going to have. Like one of the things I did when I was, you know, in my deep food addiction stages, just by switching to local homemade, handmade ice cream from the Sarah Lee type ice cream, yes. you know, like you can get these big buckets of ice cream, right? <laughs> just by making that one swap is that I'm going to eat make an ice cream that's made out of real ingredients, no chemicals or highly processed things. Just the volume of it changes because this is $8 and this is like $6. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the cost alone really moderates what you're doing. And the other thing too is what you find is you realize how much air or water or fine sugars or bulk fillers are in this ice cream. So it takes less of this to satiate you. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what I call, it's part of a protocol I call the replace principle. And it's just, it's just you're moving in the right direction. And you're saying, okay, I'm not, you know, I know myself. I know if I try and give up ice cream, I'm going to go back to the alcohol or I'm going to give up and go back to the, the drink, which we know is, you know, completely destructive for, for people. And this is a lesser evil for me. But if I'm going to have the ice cream, I'm going to have the good stuff, Great. you know, and I'm going to be present and savor it. Sensible advice. So, Sherry, um, how can we or how can the listeners contact you um, for this uh, gift that you were? Well, um, it's uh, the returntofood.com. Return so, returntofood.com. And um, by the time this goes to air, I'll make sure that you'll be able to get access to the Seven Recipes for Life ebook. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. And in April, your is this an online conference or yes. summit that you're yeah. Okay. So, and that's you can just go to sweetfreedomsummit.com mm-hmm. and you can register for that. It's free to attend. We're going to have over thirty experts and speakers talking about all the different modalities and and uh, um, areas to really address sugar addiction. And so you can uh, yeah register for that free. And we also have the Sweet Freedom program, which we'll be launching in January. Great. Well, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure a lot of listeners will be paying attention to that. And I really appreciate your time and candor um, about, you know, your food addiction. And I think that it's the secrets that kill us. And uh, the less secrets we have, the more vulnerable we have, the more uh, we're capable of being brave, I think, I yeah. feel. So thanks very much for joining us. And um, I look forward to connecting with you. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll become a food coach. I, I, who knows? <laughs> That'd be <Okay>. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. And have a great Christmas and holiday. Thank you, David. You as well. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to Comeback Journeys in Recovery with David Shadbolt. For more podcast episodes and blog posts, or to subscribe to my newsletter, please visit www.peaksymmetry.com. Peak, P-E-A-K, symmetry, S-Y-M-M-E-T-R-Y.com. Subscribers to the Peak Symmetry newsletter will receive a free download of a guided meditation. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes. Thanks for listening.